good to see everyone this morning. Appreciate you all coming our way for visiting with us. It's good to have our members here on this Lord's Day. It's been an encouraging service so far. Enjoyed the Bible study that we had this morning and good thoughts and, and things were shared during that time. And now we have an opportunity to, to listen to a message from God's Word. Appreciate you all being here, being in attendance, and, and being attentive to God's Word. You know, we are taught at a, at a very early age that there's consequences for our actions. You know, our parents told us that if we're going to live under their roof, that there are certain things we had to do and not do, and there's penalties when we broke those rules. They told us if we don't clean our plate, what? No dessert, right? But if we lie, if we tell them a lie, there's going to be consequences for that, whatever that might be. My parents didn't spare the rod when I was a child, so I had quite a few beatings in my life for a good purpose, to discipline me, and to correct me when I was wrong. And I'm very thankful for that. This is a universal concept, and it's really not that difficult for, under, for us to understand since we learn it at such a very early age. I think about little Cordelia and how hard it is to tell her no. I'm sure Devin is going through that, but it's for her own good so that she can learn very early on right from wrong. And we didn't necessarily like it when we were kids, but that was the way it was. And truth be told, we really don't like it as adults either, do we? We don't like to be told what to do, what's right and what's wrong. Human nature. But we know and we can fully understand and better accept that there's right and wrong and there's consequences for transgressing the law. Our Heavenly Father tells us the same thing. That there are consequences for our actions. Just like our earthly fathers, he tells us what we can and what we cannot do. And he tells us that there are consequences when we don't comply with those rules. And he has demonstrated throughout time what he will do to those who break his rules. So there are consequences for breaking God's laws. In other words, there are consequences for sin. And this goes all the way back to what we've been talking about the last two Sundays in our Bible class, about the rule that God gave Adam, not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But he did, and there was consequences. And God told him what those consequences were as well. And there are others in scriptures that suffered the consequences of sin. So this morning I'd like for us to take a, take a look at a few of those. And see how they inform us today about how God deals with those who disobey him. So I wanted to begin with Esau. So if you'd like to turn to Genesis chapter 25, we'll be reading from there in just a moment. Genesis chapter 25. We're going to understand that there's consequences for not doing right. Let's read here the account. In Genesis 25, beginning of verse 27, 
It says, when the boys grew up, this is Esau and Jacob, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a peaceful man, living in tents. Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And when Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, please, let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I am famished. Therefore, his name is called Edom. But Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright. And Esau said, uh, behold, I'm about to die. So what use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, first, swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and, was, and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now from that account, it might be hard for us to understand exactly what Esau did wrong. But the Hebrew writer helps us to fill in the gaps here a little bit. If you want to turn over to Hebrews chapter 12, we had the benefit of having this explain to us a little bit more. And given the attitude of Esau. And Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 15, it says, See that no one comes short of the grace of God, and no root of bitterness spring up causes trouble, and by it many have been defiled. But there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired his inheritance, uh, he, he, he desired to inherit the blessing. He was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought after it with tears. Esau is described as an immoral and godless person. Helps us to understand a little bit more about Esau and the character that he displayed. Clearly, selling the birthright was a serious thing. Something that would cause him to be labeled as such, immoral and godless. It says that he wanted his inheritance, but he was rejected. Found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. He clearly wanted to have what was his, but it wasn't to be. The consequence of Esau's hasty actions Selling his birthright for a single meal. The consequences were terrible. He was to enjoy certain blessings being the firstborn. His portion was to be greater because he was the firstborn. But he gave up those blessings. In a way, he pronounced his own judgment against himself. And he was bitter because of it. He wanted to kill Jacob. We know how the story goes on from there. The lesson here is to be careful. Don't make rash decisions. Esau was hungry. Jacob had a bowl of stew. Esau made a rash decision. And it cost him dearly. Don't make rash decisions. Make sure you understand that even seemingly the smallest choices can have dire consequences. And sometimes, as is the case with Esau's birthright, there's no going back. Hebrew writer says there, he desired his inheritance, but he found no place for repentance. He found no place that he could get his birthright back, because it went to Jacob. 
even though he sought it with tears, even though he grieved, even though he realized his mistake. Understand that the consequences for our own mistakes may be permanent. They may be permanent. Let's talk about Moses. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 17. Here's Moses. We've been talking about him a little bit in our Bible survey class. We've talked about him writing the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Here's a great man, the leader of Israel. He's going to stand before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. But Moses made a rash decision as well. In Exodus chapter 17, as Moses was leading the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land, they came to this place called Rephidim. When they got there, there was no water for them to drink. And so they complained. They grumbled against Moses. Why have you let us out here in the wilderness to die of thirst? So God tells Moses to strike the rock and water would come forth. And so he did, and the people had water to drink. Later on in the story, they come to a place called Kadesh. Turn over to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. Further along as they're making their way towards the promised land, they come to this place called Kadesh. And again, there's no water for them to drink. And again, they grumble and complain against Moses. Why have you let us out here to die in the wilderness? Look at verse 8 from Numbers chapter 20. Take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation, and speak to the rock before their eyes, that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock, and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock, and he said to them, Listen now, you rebels, shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their beasts drank. God told Moses to take the rod. And this is the rod that he had previously struck the Nile with and turned it to blood. When those signs were going forth about letting the people out of Egypt, letting them out of bondage. This is that same rod that God told Moses to take and strike the rock when they were there at Rephidim. And that water would come forth. This time, God tells Moses to take your rod and speak to the rock. Instead, what does Moses do? He strikes the rock. Small little difference, right? After all, he had been told to strike the Nile, he had been told to strike the rock. Why shouldn't he strike the rock again? That's not what God told him to do. God told him to speak to the rock. Water still comes forth. There's water that comes out, and they able to feed the, or, or to water the children of Israel and their beasts. Notice verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you have not believed me 
to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Small thing. Small thing. What's the consequence? It says you're not going to lead the children into the promised land. Was it a small thing to God? No, it was not. God sees this as disobedience, which it was, because he clearly told him to speak to the rock. And because of this, Moses is the great leader of the children of Israel. He would not be allowed to enter into the promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey, this land that was promised so long ago to the father, Abraham, the father of many nations. And it says in the account, we looked at this recently in Deuteronomy 34 about Moses, it says that although he was 120 years old when he died, his eye was not dim nor his vigor abated. What does that tell us? Tell us that Moses just didn't die of natural causes. He was a healthy 120-year-old. God took him. And he did so because, God, because Moses did not obey the command of God. And so in the prime of his 120 years, God took him because that was a consequence of his sin. When we talk about sins committed by people in the Bible, it's hard for us not to mention David. Look over in 2 Samuel 11. David's usually the first one that comes to our mind when we talk about sins of people in the Bible. We know the story here, 2 Samuel 11, how David is walking around on his roof, and he sees Bathsheba, and she's bathing. And he sees that she's very beautiful, and so he sends his messengers to bring her to him. And he lies with her, and she conceives. David then tries to cover all this up by bringing Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, home from the, war, from, the, from the front, from the battlefront. He brings him home so that he might lie with her and cover up what he has done. But Uriah refuses to stay in the comfort of his own home and to lie with his wife while his fellow soldiers are on the front, living in tents. Just a little aside, we see what kind of integrity Uriah had in the face of what's going on with David. So David sends a letter to Joab, who was the general over, over David's armies, and he tells him to set Uriah out on the front line and then to, when the battle heats up, to withdraw from him so that he will be killed. And Joab did just that, and Uriah was killed. David has Uriah killed. Make no mistake about it, that's exactly what, had, what took place. He had Uriah killed to cover up his original sin of adultery. And as a result of these sins, the child that was going to be born to Bathsheba was going to be taken. Look in chapter 12 of 1 Samuel, in verse 13. It says, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. This is after Nathan comes and tells him about the, 
the one little sheep that the man has and how the man takes that one that he has. And Nathan convicts David, you are the man. You're the one that's done this. David's been convicted of his sin. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin. Um, you shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. So Nathan went to his house. It's consequences for sin. David found that out. Because of David's indiscretion, and then trying to cover that up by having Uriah killed, God punishes him by taking the child. Like Esau and Moses, David's actions in the heat of the moment have lasting and permanent consequences. David compounds the sin by trying to cover up his actions. We can easily fall into this trap, too, if we're not careful. It's one thing to sin. It's another thing to, call it to commit another sin to try to cover up for that sin. It's a danger for us. It is a real danger for us. We can fall into that same trap. Look at David. Described as a man after God's own heart. And here we see him sinning and then continuing to sin by trying to cover it up. We need to be very careful that we don't fall in that same trap. So what kinds of things can we be guilty of today that have terrible consequences? Well, much like Esau, we can be greedy. Esau wanted that one supper. We need to be careful that we don't fall into greed. Greed can lead us to, to bend the rules Take a few dollars out of the cash register or out of the, the bag going to the bank. We need to be very careful about those kinds of things. Maybe it causes us to, to forge some paperwork or to cheat on our taxes. The consequences there can be criminal. We can be fined. We can go to jail. The consequences for greed, for stealing, be very, very consequential. It can be very dire. And lead us to lose some of our freedom. Adultery. Here's David. He's guilty of adultery. Adultery is rampant in our culture. Now there's no criminal punishments for adultery. We're not going to go to jail for it. But there certainly are civil punishments. We can lose money, we can lose our possessions, we can lose certain visitation rights from our children, and families are torn apart. Not just the two that are engaged in this, but the parents of those, and the grandparents. Families torn apart by adultery, terrible consequences. What about murder? Again, David. You wouldn't think he would be guilty of murder, but he had one put to death to cover up his own sin. Surely we understand what the consequences of murder are. We know it's not right to take someone else's life. We run the risk of losing our own life 
or living out the rest of our life in prison. We understand these kinds of things. It's not hard for us to see those kind of consequences when we sin in those kind of ways. What's maybe not as hard for us to see, and sometimes we don't think about, just the very idea of forsaking God. What risk do we run if we are disobedient to God? Well, to those who refuse to listen to God at all, the punishment is very clear and very simple. 2 Thessalonians 1, beginning of verse 7, says, His mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Those who won't hear the gospel, those who won't obey what the gospel has to say, it's very simple. Flaming fire, mighty angels, retribution. There's a consequence for not hearing God, for not hearing and obeying the gospel. The consequence is judgment. What about those who have, have obeyed the gospel? Such as most of us here, if not all of us here. What about those who have obeyed the gospel, but continue to sin anyway? The Hebrew writer tells us about those kind of people. And we need to be sure that we're not in that group. Hebrews 10, verse 26, beginning. For if we go on sinning willfully... After receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of the fire which will consume the adversaries. You know what's interesting about that? It's the same consequence as those who never obeyed the gospel. Judgment, fire, consuming the adversaries, Brethren, we'll suffer the same fate as those who've never heard the gospel. If what? If we go on sinning willfully. Hebrew writer talks about there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. We talked about in our class this morning, Jesus died for all sins. There's nothing else that can save us from our sins except the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we turn our backs on that and go on sinning willfully, there's nothing more that can save us. We'll be part of that fiery judgment of those same disbelievers. But brethren, we have hope. God never leaves his children without hope. Over in 1 John 1, David read from this a moment ago. 1 John 1, we're given a way that we can be absolved of the sins that we commit after we become a child of God. Because we know as humans we are subject to sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. From Romans 3 verse 23, we looked at this morning. We have sinned in the past and we fall short in the present. As humans, we are subject to sin. Look at verse 8 in 1 John 1. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Brethren, if, we, if you're sitting here this morning and, say, and, and, you're, and you're saying to yourself, I'm not guilty of sin. 
You're deceiving yourself. And the truth's not in you. As humans, we're subject to sin. We're subject to stumble. But thanks be to God that he has given us a way by which we can be forgiven. That is the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then after that, that is asking our God for forgiveness. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have a mechanism by which we can be forgiven. And that is appealing to God the Father to forgive us of our sins. And he's not going to do it unless we ask him. He's not going to do it unless we confess our sins before him. Don't forsake the opportunity to do that. If you sin in your life, you need to make it right. Because otherwise, if you die in your sins, you're headed for that fiery judgment. So while you have opportunity, while the sun is shining on this day, make your life right with God. If you sin in a public nature and you need the prayers of the congregation, you can let that be known and we can pray for you and we can help you. If you've sinned in a private way, between you and your God. Make that right. Don't let the sun go down on this day without asking God the Father for his forgiveness. And if you're not a child of God and you understand about what it takes to be a child of God, I encourage you to make that right as well. To be buried in the waters of baptism. To raised, be raised up to walk in newness of life so that you can be a child of God. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.